Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. As I was reading the newspaper this morning before I came to prepare um, our talk for this weekend, um, the front page, at least one of the main headlines in the paper, was to do with the recent nominations to the House of Lords um, that the Prime Minister Boris Johnson has nominated. And a big debate as to whether these people, men and women, have the suitable qualities to be in the House of Lords and and to be leaders within the, the political body of our country. It's always an issue, isn't it, when anyone is promoted to a position of leadership, whether it's within a company, within a business, within a work, whether it's within the life of the church or within some community setting, there will be a debate, perhaps sometimes done quietly and within people personally thinking about it, and sometimes more obviously out in the general public domain, as to whether that person or this person has the qualities that make them suitable to be a leader. And of course, there's a whole series of things that go together that make someone suitable to be a leader. There is the phrase, of course, that leaders are born, not made. They are born, not made. And I certainly would have a great sympathy for that. Ultimately, qualities that are within us that have been part of our DNA in terms of our personality, in terms of various gifts and talents that we have. These things are integral to who we are. And so in that sense, leaders are born, not made. But of course, how these gifts, qualities, abilities and potentials are developed, are used, are cultivated, are nourished, well, of course, that is open to a whole host of different pressures and influences. This present crisis, there's been a debate as to whether the leaders that we have have come up to par or indeed exceeded our expectations, and no doubt that debate will continue, not just in the political domain, but also those who have been scientists and medical advisors and to whether their advice and whether their leadership has been all that it should be. I have to be honest, as I listen now to some of them being interviewed on the radio, five months and more since the COVID-19 crisis became a a public issue, it's interesting how at least some of them now are are seeking to backtrack on what they said or to even maybe rewrite what took place five months ago, conscious, of course, that the day will come sooner or later when there will be a review of everything has happened and no doubt conscious of their own position and indeed their hope that their own position will be vindicated and will be seen to be worthy of their position of leadership. It's a very complex thing and it's complex not just in the wider world, it's complex within the life of the church. There have been people who have been leaders in the church, and I mean the wider church, down through history, who have been great men and women of God, vindicated by the Spirit and great advances of the kingdom. There's others who have held leadership within the church who certainly have not been like that, indeed the very opposite. One needs to only look at many of the popes who ruled the church in the medieval age to see that they were far from being innocent or godly men. Uh, And indeed, the history of the church has often been blighted by bad leaders acting in bad ways at challenging times. The book of Acts, as we've seen, as we've looked at the story of the book of Acts, we've seen the uh, rising up of our leadership team. We see the disciples becoming the apostles. And yet we're also reminded, as we've been reading through the book of Acts, that these apostles, Peter and John particularly, were, we're told in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, that when those who were interviewing them and challenging the, the Jewish leaders, the rulers, the teachers of the law were confronting them, they, they saw the courage of Peter and John, we write in verse 13, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
Here's two men, Peter and John, disciples of Jesus, and yet in their character and what they said and how they conducted themselves and their determination to see through what God had laid in their heart, these men stood out as leaders. But as we've been reading last week, so again we read this week of how new sets of leaders emerged within the life of the church. No longer just the apostles, but we saw last week as we were reading the story that there were various issues, practical issues that could have been very contentious and devices within the church. And the apostles were enabled to come to a wise decision as to how that challenge would meet. Acts chapter 6, and we read that the apostles, when the twelve gathered all the disciples together, they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait in tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Acts 6 and verse 4. And we read on, verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so let's read on together. Acts 6 and verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Amen. And may God bless indeed his word to our hearts as we reflect upon it together. And so here's the early church leadership, a leadership team beginning to emerge. The apostles whose ministry is to be given over to prayer in the ministry of the word. But these other men were chosen to do practical things, the waiting on tables, the dealing with the ongoing issues of the life of the church. As the Christian community grew, then of course things began to arise. Here is to do with who was getting um, the daily distribution of food. But with any Christian community, of course, there are practical issues which ultimately, of course, need to have spiritual answers applied to to them, a thing here which could have caused great division and dissension and hindered the work of God was dealt with by these men who were full of faith and of the Holy Spirit who dealt with it in a way which ensured that as far from the church falling apart we read that the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. That was a sign that this ministry, this team ministry was worthy, was right for the kingdom and was owned and owned, owned and possessed by God and blessed by God and the church flourished. 
It's interesting that the men who are chosen, we mentioned last week that they all have Greek names, and so they were likely either to be Jews who lived from lived in the wider Roman Greek or Roman Greek Empire, or we read, of course, one of them was a convert to Judaism, Nicholas. Um, these men were, were, were not part of the original team. Um, the original inner sanctum of the disciples round the apostles. These were other men who had perhaps had gathered in Jerusalem, had come, God-fearing men, um, converts to Judaism, or Jews living, as I say, in the wider empire, who had come to Jerusalem to worship God at the time of the Passover, who had stayed on to celebrate the festival of Pentecost, who had heard Peter and John preach the gospel, and had come to faith. This is, in a sense, the next generation. This is the gospel spreading out from that inner group of the immediate disciples gathered in the upper room. And God is at work spreading that gospel out now to these Greek-speaking Jews, and of course, eventually, we're we know, to the very ends of the air. And these men, interesting, two of them only, really, we know much about. One is Philip, Philip the Evangelist. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll look at the well-known story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And now Stephen, Stephen the first martyr of the church. And in many ways, and again next Sunday, as we look at his dress, and I encourage you before next week to read Acts chapter 7, the whole chapter where we have his sermon presented to us, we'll see in some ways Stephen in, in a very intimate way modelling, and Jesus actually in the terms of the fact he stands before the Sanhedrin, the way he responds, the whole story in a sense is a demonstration of, of what happened to Jesus when he was before the Sanhedrin and Pilate. But before he got to that stage, we read that Stephen, a man full of God's grace, fair Satan power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Here's someone who was chosen by the church, who had been set apart by the church for a practical ministry. Uh, here's someone who, yes, was full of faith in the Holy Spirit, but very quickly those gifts and talents that were within him enabled him not only to wait on tables, not only to deal with the practical situations, but to begin a very effective preaching ministry, a proclamation ministry. And indeed, we read that he was so effective that these people who were riled by what he had to say and stirred up by what he had to say could not stand, verse 10, up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. What qualities, what characteristics, what things were within the man born as a leader, or what things were cultivated in his Christian journey that enabled him to be such an effective proclaimer of the gospel? Well, first of all, he was obviously a man, indeed all these guys were obviously people who were already involved in some form of humble service. Um, we read that in verse 5 that the proposal put by the apostles pleased the whole group and they chose these men. And it wasn't just a case of saying, well, who could we have it? He's sort of eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and just pointing the finger. Obviously, Stephen and the rest of these men had already been involved within the Christian community. They were already involved in some form of Christian service. We already read earlier in the book of Acts of Barnabas and others who sold their ground, who shared the possessions. And we read in, back in chapter 4 that there was no one who had any need because regularly people sold up what they had and brought it to the apostles feet and distributed to anyone who was in need. And all that was a sign of the Spirit of God making a radical impact in people's lives, people's values, people's attitudes, people's ways of seeing others and of seeing themselves. And that's the kind of gospel impact, of course, we need to see released within people's lives today. 
they were one in heart and mind. So Stephen and the rest of the team had already, in a sense, proved themselves in humble service. Of course, that is a falling on from what Jesus himself said. Um, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, no doubt had in mind the, the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 22. Let me read these verses to you from Luke chapter 22 and from verse 25 to 27. We read in verse, well, verse 24, that a dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer in you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit in thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And what's Jesus saying here is that in his kingdom, in this you radical community of God's people, there's to be a different set of values, a different ways of being seen to be important. Importance is not in a title or position, but in service, the service of others. Jesus, of course, continually reminded his disciples of that. Mark 9, verse 35, Jesus called the disciples together and sat down with them and said to them, anyone who wants to be first among you must be the very last and servant of all. And then he took a little child whom he had placed among them. And he used that child as an example of that childlike service and care and concern. And of course, Jesus supremely revealed that, well, yes, on the cross, obviously, but particularly in the journey to the cross in John chapter 13. Remember Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and he, he has them sat down, and he strips off and takes a cloth and goes round and washes his disciples' feet. And Simon Peter gets all riled and says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then, then Simon Peter said, Lord, not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. And he goes on to say, you know, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And so, back to Stephen and to the rest of these men, they would have already revealed that Christ-like service, that humble service of others. I've often said to some who have aspired perhaps to being ministers or ministry within the wider church, that one of the ways to begin to understand what that means is to go and clean the toilets or to take the chairs and move the chairs or to clean the church floor or to do some other practical ministry. Uh, these are the ways in which we learn, which under God's grace and wisdom, in a sense, develop and cultivate the true qualities within us that would make us a man or woman of God v suitable for leadership. 
These are the environments, not of lording over, not of having titles or positions, but of being a servant of others and a humble servant of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Stephen and others already had displayed these things, and so when it came to choosing these men to be deacons within the life of the church, they stood out, oh, there's Stephen, there's Philip, there's the rest of these characters. Humble service, but also spirit dependence. Remember the qualities, whether to be man or full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 8 that Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders. We read that they couldn't respond to what he had to say because of the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. They were spiritually dependent. Now that might seem obvious talking about Christian service, if somebody's going to be involved, we need to be open to the Spirit of God. It might seem very obvious, but I'm afraid to say it's not always something that we all enter into, including myself. We can rely on our own resources, our own strength, our own power, forgetting, of course, what the prophet Zechariah, what God said through the prophet Zechariah to his servants then when they were seeking to rebuild Jerusalem and, and set Jerusalem back on the right course after its fall under the Babylonian conquest. And what were they told by the prophet, or God speaking through the prophet, not by might, nor by your power, but by my spirit will the work be done. And that's important. Not by our own might, not by our own resources, not by our own wisdom, not by our own power, but by the Holy Spirit will the work of God be done. The work of God can only be done within the Christian community as it's inspired and enabled by the Spirit of God. And Stephen and others obviously were people who displayed that, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And that gave Stephen in particular a wisdom that was beyond his own ability. Of course, the New Testament is full of exhortations to be full of the Spirit and also full of wisdom. Remember Paul's exhortations in, Corinth, in, in, in Ephesians where he tells the, the, the church there that they are to be filled with the Spirit. Remember these words, do not get drunk on wine, Ephesians 5 and verse 18, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. And the picture there again, one that perhaps you're probably familiar with, is not of a static tap of water, just like this that stands there and could be very easily become stale and lukewarm and really unappetizing, but of a streaming tap of water, a flowing of water coming out of a well, a, a, a well that continually replenishes the supply of water that flows out fresh, cool, revigorating, and, and, and continually fills up the glass until it's overflowing, till it pours out a continual flow of water. That is the language that Paul's speaking about when he says, be filled with the Spirit, an ongoing anointing, refreshing, renewing, and flowing out from us the streams of living water that Jesus spoke about that go out into the parched lands that surround us. And my friends, we live in a spiritually parched country and how we need the Spirit of God to fill us and to flow out into that parched land but we need to be open to that. We need to be willing to have the tap turned on. We need to be willing to be a vessel where the Spirit of God flows in and through and inhabits the way we think, the way we see things, the mind of Christ. Remember, I always spoke about that, the mind of Christ, continually renewing and transforming how we think, how we see, how we understand. That is the wisdom, of course, that Stephen showed. He showed that spiritual wisdom that caused the rest of the folks who were challenging him to, to become frustrated because they couldn't stand against it. 
And of course, the, the New Testament also affirms the importance of that spiritual wisdom. The book of James, particularly in those opening verses in the book of James, where the writer says that we are to ask for wisdom. Remember what he says, James 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously at all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so we need that spiritual wisdom. That's important. It's very easy for us to rely on our own wisdom. This time of crisis, rightly, we've had to think things through and work things out. But we need to do so with that divine wisdom, which may well take our human knowledge, our human understanding, but just give it that edge, that added effectiveness, that directness, and that cautiousness that the Spirit of God would provide. We need to ask for that wisdom, and we need to be careful that we're open to it. It's not the same as, as being full of energy or full of good ideas are full of, in a sense, zeal even. All of that may well be very important. Indeed, it is very important. But divine wisdom, spiritual wisdom, is something that we need to ask with faith, be open to receive, and allow to fill and flow through our lives. And Stephen displayed that spiritual dependence and godly wisdom. And that led him to have, of course, a very effective ministry as not just as a practical ministry, and obviously he must have had that, or he wouldn't have been asked to do the job, but actually in the wider ministry. We read that he was a full of God's grace and power, verse 8, and performed great wonders and signs among the people. He was modeling Jesus, and as Jesus spoke and taught, but as the signs and wonders demonstrated the, 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 the validity, and the effectiveness of what he had to say. So Stephen displays that. He displays that spiritual authority that had an impact in people's lives and situations. The test, of course, of anyone who claims to be full of the Spirit and full of what God is saying and doing is actually, does it bear fruit? Jesus said, you shall bear much fruit, fruit that endures. I'm sad to say after 30 odd years in the ministry, it's evident that sometimes the church has embarked on ministries, sometimes led by people who would claim to be leaders with this idea, that idea, that all sounds very, very encouraging, but actually has borne very little fruit, if any fruit at all, and certainly not fruit that lasts. And yet we've been led to follow this person or that idea or this scheme, and it's got us nowhere. Rather than be dependent on the Spirit, rather than seeking the wisdom of God, rather than thoughtfully thinking through and, and having a knowledge of his word and of the whole story of God's dealings with his people from beginning to end, we have grasped at things because they seem to be innovative, exciting, or, or something different for the moment. And we really now are reaping the benefits, inverted commas, of going down that road so often in whole areas of ministry. Stephen's ministry was effective. It was effective, and we'll see next Sunday, and I encourage you, as I say, to read Acts chapter 7 next Sunday. Of course, it was effective in the sense it led him to becoming a martyr of the church. But nonetheless, it was effective. It was true to Jesus, and it created an impact in people's lives. 
And lastly, we see that because he was confident. The very end of that story in chapter 6, we read that all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Again, he's modeling Jesus here, who stood before the, the Jewish authorities and stood before Pilate. Stephen is modeling that. And his face is like the face of an angel. He is not someone who's cocky in his own abilities, who's confident of his own resources. But here is someone nurtured by the church fellowship, who was humble in service, who was open to the Spirit, who displayed godly wisdom, who had effective insight to be able to see what was going on and, 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 and had a ministry that cut through a lot of the, the nonsense and the talk and actually made an impact, a lasting and very powerful impact. Ultimately, of course, it led to the conversion of the Apostle Paul, or the version of Saul to Paul, and we'll see that over the next few weeks. That was the fruit that was born from this effective insight, but that's because he had a confidence that came not from himself, but from the living Lord. Paul again in Ephesians, keen that we should stand firm in the faith, tells the church in Ephesus that it can stand, it can stand in the midst of the challenge of life, but only do, do, can do so when it stands in God's power. Paul, Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand, and it goes on then to open up the armour of God that protects us, enables us to engage in spiritual warfare and to stand firm. How we need that today, a church that stands firm, that's not tossed about by every bit of use that our political leaders or that our scientists or medical people say. Very easy to be tossed about by all of that. Yes, we have to listen. Yes, we need wisdom to discern what is right and what is good and true and what maybe is pushed by other agendas at the present time. We need to have a word that speaks into our society and speaks into our times. Like Stephen, something, a wisdom that comes from God. We need all of that. We need leaders like that and we need to pray for that. How I would encourage you today, pray for the leadership, not just of our own congregation, but of the church of Jesus Christ in our land, that it might be led by people like Stephen, people that were told, who were full of God's grace and power. And in these challenging days, having shown their validity, for leadership by a life lived in humble service in the past, that these days God will raise up a new generation of leaders who will lead the church on through all the challenges it faces. Can I remind you of these words as we close from the Apostle Paul, who himself was being criticised for his leadership and, 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 and mocked in many ways um, for some aspects of his leadership. And this is what he says. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me read that again. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, 
our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What do these verses mean? Well, those verses remind us of Stephen, of who he was, of what possessed him, and of the fruitfulness of his ministry. And my friends, I encourage you to pray that God would raise up such people in this day and in this generation. There's a crying need for it. We've been led by plenty of people who actually, at the end of the day, have been at best poor leaders and at worst false leaders. We need men and women to lead the church, men to lead the church, who are full of God's grace and power. For today, as as much in the days of the apostles. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for the relevance of your word for this day and this generation. We thank you for those who down through the ages have modelled Jesus. Some very obviously so, people like Stephen, and others quietly, we perhaps think this morning, of people who taught us in Sunday school or who were involved with us in our Christian journey who got alongside us and didn't have a great title, didn't have a great name, were perhaps in some ways unschooled people, but yet had that wisdom, had that godly authority, had that graciousness, that Jesus-likeness in their character that caused them to enable them to be channels of your word into our lives. And we thank you for their example and for their ministry and for their work. And we would offer ourselves afresh to you and to your service. But we would also recognize that there are leaders spiritually born to be leaders of your church. And how we pray that as in the past you have used our fellowship to be a place where God has raised up leaders in past days. So we pray that even in these days, with all the challenges, with all the, the competing voices, with the ebb and flow of leaders in the public life and the political domain, and yes, even in the scientific and medical community, that you would raise up leaders within the life of your church and our nation, men and women of God, anointed by your Spirit, who effectively, powerfully, graciously, dynamically, in a Christ-like way, lead your people in these days. We pray that for our denomination, for the United Free Church. We pray that for our own fellowship. And we pray that for the Church of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that that's important to you because you love the church and you gave yourself for the church. And in that church, you have appointed leaders to shepherd the flock of God. And so we thank you that we have that confidence that you care for the church and all the things we're talking about. And so we can commit it to you in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.